<laughs> well, I'm glad to be here with you this morning, and we're continuing our series on uh, You Have Heard It Said, and so um, we've been going through a number of difficult topics that Jesus was uh, able to address when he preached, and, and the whole idea is that you've heard this said, but then Jesus said, but I say unto you, in other words, taking what was commonly thought to be true, and Jesus teaching, this is what kingdom righteousness looks like, and it's always like a step up, or, or something much more um, in line with uh, the will and the character of God, and so I get to talk about the happy subject of divorce. Uh, um, and so I don't know if you can see this uh, little cartoon. It's a Christian cartoon from some publication. I don't remember where I got it, but it's a pastor talking to his wife on Saturday night. He says, yeah, I'm preaching on abortion tomorrow. Next Sunday, we're going to preach on homosexual marriage. But there's this big elephant in the room called divorce and remarriage. And the, real, the reality is, is that divorce is... Very common, not only in our culture, but unfortunately also in the church. In fact, in our day, of people that get married, at least half will get divorced. That's terrible. Um, in the church, the percentage is even higher. And I believe that's because um, people that are not in churchgoers, people that are just in the world, often just don't get married. And so they live together and they break up where you have a much higher percentage of people uh, getting married if they're regular church attenders. And so the genuine studies that actually dig deep and look at people that are uh, faithful Christians, are attending church together and marry, the actual percentage of that is way, way lower. I think it's somewhere between around 15% uh, rather than 50%. So sometimes uh, statistics, you got to dig a little deeper. Um, but this idea is certainly a big issue because uh, divorce is pretty prevalent in our culture. I personally am very, very familiar with divorce. My parents were divorced when I was a young teen, and it had a massive effect in my life and, and in our whole, my whole family's life. All of my aunts and uncles on both my mom and my father's side, which they were, uh, they were both fairly good-sized families, all of them were divorced, uh, most of them multiple times. And so that whole generation, my parents' generation, um, they were all divorced. In fact, growing up, everyone I knew was divorced. I only had one great aunt and great uncle that lived out in Nebraska who uh, didn't get divorced, only, only uh, family, yeah, it was pretty incredible. Um, <clears throat> my siblings were all divorced, except for one who just didn't get married. <laughs> uh, he finally got married in his 50s, and uh, they're doing well. <clears throat> and so, of course, I've had to deal with this countless times as a pastor, helping people through difficult times, or people that have gotten divorced in the past. So I've really delved into the depths of this issue morally, uh, theologically, practically, legally, emotionally. <clears throat> what I'm about to say today may be a little different than what you expect, maybe different than what you think the Bible teaches, 
But hear me out, and uh, we can agree to disagree on some of the details, but I'm going to try to present a well-balanced, complete view of uh, uh, the biblical teaching on divorce and remarriage in 30 minutes or less. <laughs> All right, so Jesus said in Matthew 5, 31, this is from the Sermon on the Mount, and uh, this is what the series is based on. You have heard it said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. That's actually a quote from the Old Testament. But I say to you, whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. So, wow, bam, that seems simple. There's only one reason why you can get a divorce. Um, and that's what a lot of Christians think, that this is the only statement in the Bible about marriage and divorce, but it's not. In fact, um, uh, there's other places where he goes into a much greater uh, depth. <clears throat> Jesus is not giving a complete teaching. Uh, he's addressing a particular error that had become extremely popular uh, in, of, in the Jewish community at his time. <clears throat> and I'll get into it explaining what the error was. And as a result of a, a theological error that had been being taught for a little over 100 years in Jesus' day and continued to be taught afterwards, the entire uh, nation of Israel had adapted this uh, uh, belief that you could divorce someone for any reason, any cause. Uh, and he, Jesus is directing, him, directing them to the true meaning of what the law uh, intended concerning marriage and divorce. And the intent of uh, the law concerning marriage was to protect women, especially in the Old Testament um, culture. A woman who was divorced was basically forced into prostitution uh, and poverty. And uh, the law is intended to protect women and to protect marriage, certainly not to end it. But the Jews had finagled away to use the law as a way to justify divorce for any means. And he's saying kingdom righteousness ends legal maneuvering as a way to justify divorce. <clears throat> so we can know this because um, the, the Sermon on the Mount is very brief statements on a lot of issues, but in other places in Scripture, it goes into more depth. And we, here we see the more in-depth discussion that Jesus was having concerning divorce with the Pharisees. It says in Matthew 19, Pharisees came up to him uh, and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And that any cause phrase was a key word. That was a theological debate that was hotly contested and had pretty much won the argument. And so when they said that, Jesus knew what they were talking about because that was something that was um, influencing the culture and being taught by the Pharisees. And he answered, Have you not read that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. So he's saying, no, that's not the intention of what God uh, wants for mankind. The, the intention is that they be together and they stay together. And then they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? 
And Jesus responded, Because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce. uh, So there was an exception made for divorce. But from the beginning it was not so. That's not what was intended when God created us. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, and this is almost an exact quote from Matthew 5, except for sexual immorality and marries another, commits adultery. And this is Jesus coming against the any clause, for any reason, divorce that they had challenged him on. And he's saying, no, that verse is talking about adultery. Um, The disciples said to him, if such is the case with a man of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. All right. And so that expression means that what Jesus said, they found so shocking that they thought, oh my goodness, that's such a high standard of righteousness, it's better not even to marry. And so that tells you that Jesus was really confronting something that was uh, shocking and, and difficult for them. So let's look at this scripture uh, in Deuteronomy. This is the law. This is what they were referring to when they said Moses uh, said this. He says, when a man takes a wife uh, and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his, high, in his eyes because he has found some indecency. There's two words there, some indecency uh, in her. And he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out from his house. And she leaves his house and goes and becomes another man's wife. And what happened is, that for most of the Old Testament, everyone agreed that that referred to uh, sexual immorality. The word translated indecency refers to sexual immorality. But 100 or 150 years before Jesus, there had been a scholar, a Jewish scholar, who said, well, that word some really wasn't necessary in the text. Why did Moses include this extra word that is kind of a vague, could refer to anything, And they taught that there's two things in this verse, uh, in the Hebrew, that uh, there could be any reason and indecency. And so they used it as a way to justify any or indecency. That was the error of any cause divorce and what the Pharisees was testing Jesus in. And uh, everyone understood that sexual immorality was a legitimate grounds for the divorce, but they had been teaching that that word some could be translated, well, if there's anything that he finds um, uh, uh, that he's unhappy with, uh, uh, including immorality, and that was not what that verse meant. That was not the intention of God's word in Deuteronomy. And so that's what he's confronting. So in both Matthew 5 and 19, Jesus is addressing the specific error that had become uh, acceptable for divorce of any cause was just as acceptable as divorce for immorality. And those divorces that were based on any cause were not legitimate. And so in God's eyes, and even according to Jewish law, they were still married. And so if they went out and married somebody else, they're committing adultery because that first marriage was never actually uh, ended. And that's where the idea of adultery comes in. So this was shocking 
So the people that heard Jesus was speaking to to that point where they were like, well, forget it then. We just won't get married. Uh, (laughs) So what does the Bible actually teach about divorce? I'm going to try to cover this. Obviously, there's books and books and books written on it, and there's lots of disagreement uh, because that's one thing the church doesn't lack. (laughs) It's disagreement. But um, this is how I see the Bible's teaching. First off, divorce in and of itself is not sin. Nowhere in the Bible does it say divorce in and of itself is, not, is a sin. I actually say it this way. Divorce is always the result of some sin. Uh, but it, in and of itself, it's not sin. <clears throat> and it's important for us to understand that. Uh, even in this passage, Jesus is not saying that divorce is adultery. He's saying it, it results in adultery. It sets up a situation where the person is going to commit adultery. Not that divorce in itself is sin. And of course, what other moral law does God give an exception to? The very fact that there is any exception means that divorce is different than uh, moral sins like uh, uh, covetousness or you know things that are clearly a moral issue. Because there are no exceptions to moral law. Right? This is different. Um, divorce is an unfortunate, very unfortunate, but sometimes allowable course of action in certain cases. And the Bible actually gives us some of those uh, specific cases. God says it very clear. We don't need to try to wonder what God thinks about divorce. He says it plainly and straightforwardly in Malachi. He says, I hate divorce. Now, he doesn't hate divorce people. He hates a divorce. All right? I hate a man covering himself with violence as with his garments, says the Lord Almighty. So guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. He hates it, but it's not something that's banned. It's something that sometimes is unavoidable. And he hates it because it's an act of violence. When the two become one... You really are. It's like a new person is created. The individual, you know, I'm still an individual apart from my wife, but because we're married, we're one. It's like a, a new person is created in that covenant of marriage. And divorce rips that apart. And, um, and marriage is supposed to reflect the relationship that we can enter into, a covenant relationship that we can enter into with Christ. And so divorce is bad because it, it, it shatters that image of relationship with Christ. And so that's another reason why God hates divorce. Um, it's hurtful, it's a violent act, and it destroys the intention of what God created it for. So even when it is justifiable, it's still a painful, painful uh, experience. And the Bible says, take heed to your spirit. Um, uh, Be careful because it can wound your spirit. And even people that have been divorced for legitimate reasons, for the rest of your life, you have to deal with that. It's it, uh, people that are contemplating it. I'm like, you know, it doesn't solve any more prob- any problems. It just creates a new set of problems. And then you'll have to deal with that uh, broken relationship in some form for the rest of your life. And so, yeah, is it, is it allowable? Sometimes 
is it, is it the best? Never. It's never the best solution. It's, uh, and you try as best as you can to avoid it. So <clears throat> adultery, of course, is the clearest exception and is never really argued. Jesus is using adultery to um, uh, come against the idea of the no-fault divorce that was common in his day. And uh, he was clearly disagreeing with the popular opinion as uh, it was demonstrated by the reaction, well, we just won't get married. <laughs> in other New, passages, New Testament passages where it's talking about divorce or marriage, um, that exception isn't mentioned in every place, but it's assumed uh, because everyone agreed if one was spouse's sexually um, unfaithful, then divorce is an allowable uh, course of action. Let me just say, it's allowable, it's not required. Okay, I know quite a few uh, marriages who uh, their marriage did suffer infidelity. One of the couple uh, committed adultery. But because there was grace and the willingness to do the hard, hard work of restoration, marriages can be restored and actually be uh, fulfilling and can uh, lead to decades of, of being happily married. <clears throat> On the issue of infidelity, let me just say something that may be a little shocking. Um, statistically, uh, people who study this saying, about 50% of marriages suffer infidelity, uh, which kind of lines up to 50% divorce rate, doesn't it? because it's very, very difficult. Many people that are divorced, you may think that they didn't have legitimate reason only because they didn't tell you the very painful story that uh, they had suffered from infidelity. So never assume you know what really happened, okay? And, and then concerning marriage and infidelity, uh, stay on guard. It is the enemy is about seeking whom he may destroy and infidelity is a way to just destroy people's lives. And, uh, and so <clears throat> this is, of course, an exception that allows uh, divorce. But Old Testament law didn't, uh, the penalty for infidelity was not divorce, it was death. Okay? But in Jesus' day, the Romans who were in charge would not allow capital punishment for the uh, sin or the breaking the law of adultery. And so they would allow divorce <clears throat> instead of stoning them. All right, Jesus was not forbidding remarriage. Um, how did Jesus address the woman caught in adultery? Did he talk to her? Listen, you need to live single the rest of your life. No, he simply forgave her. Yeah. All right, how about the woman who had four husbands uh, or had five husbands and, the, and she was living with her boyfriend? He didn't even bring it up, right? He taught her how to worship and invited her into a relationship of worship, all right? And so we see that Jesus dealt with it in a very different way than what we often see people who are, you know, maybe zealous, but uh, without a deeper understanding of the details of the biblical view on marriage and, and uh, divorce and remarriage. And so there's a very significant verse that is neglected in our day uh, and is often left out of books on marriage and books on, uh, on divorce and remarriage. And uh, I actually didn't know about it for many years until I 
um, came across to, uh, an, first an article in Christianity Today, and then I read the book that it, um, the author uh, of the article had written that really delved into this issue. And this verse is in Exodus 21 concerning marriage. It says, if he marries another woman, he must not deprive the first one of food, clothing, and marital rights. Okay, those three things, if he does not provide her with these three things, she is free to go without any payment of money. All right? And because there's a couple of cultural uh, things that we aren't used to, that they're so hard to overcome, that we just skip over this verse and ignore it. Yeah. <laughs> First thing is, if he marries another woman, well, that's polygamy, isn't it? And polygamy was practiced all throughout the Old Testament. Not all throughout the Old Testament. It, it, Adam and Eve were faithfully married, you know, till death did them part. Um, but shortly after, uh, the, the uh, people in the Bible began practicing polygamy. Polygamy is never endorsed by God, but it is tolerated, it's allowed. In the New Testament, we uh, learn a better way, okay? Uh, the way it was intended from the beginning. And so, but that's a, that's a change. It has to be implemented gradually if it's cultural. I was just talking a few days ago with missionaries that do a lot of work in Africa. And uh, so they, they're, they're saying doing a marriage conference in Africa is so hard. Doing anything, because uh, polygamy is just, completely widespread, even amongst Christians. And so they have to teach them why it's better. And every culture that embraces Christianity and has been significantly influenced by Christianity will, very, will move from a polygamous stance to uh, the biblical ideal of one man, one woman. <clears throat> and so because this is talking about marrying another woman, we kind of like, that makes us uncomfortable. And this whole thing about going free without having to pay money, what is he talking about? Well, this means that if his first wife is neglected because he's married another woman, she is free from that marriage covenant because he's broken the covenant of marriage by not providing food, clothing, and marital rights. And so she's free. She's not bound by that, and that means she's free to go marry someone else. These were the conditions that Jews understood all throughout, and they still weren't being argued about in Jesus' day, but they had latched onto that any clause that word in the other verse to make it well it can be any reason and so even if these conditions were not being violated so these conditions of divorce were accepted and jesus is not challenging them because that was not the misuse of scripture he was addressing all right so these three uh things food clothing and sex is actually the basis for uh marriage vows even to this day and for thousands of years Nourishment. I love to, you know, you know, all that I have to thee I bestow. Uh, protection and fulfillment. Those three ideas have been woven into pretty much every form of marriage vow uh, through all, all these years, even till today. And it's equal. We both, both husband and wife, have to provide. And if we neglect any one of these areas, we can say, wait a minute, this, this, this relationship is lacking and we need to address it and if there's a total refusal of providing <clears throat> these three things then it may end up being 
a place where the person is being neglected to the point where it's better to, uh, uh, to go the route of divorce, even though it's never the best. So these are the three categories of allowable divorce that we find both in the Old and the New Testament. Immorality, obviously, no one uh, argues that, but found in Deuteronomy 24, as well as in Matthew 5 and 19. Emotional and physical neglect, found in Exodus 21 in the law, and in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 7, which we're going to read next. And then abandonment and abuse. And I believe that is both physical and or emotional verbal abuse, Exodus 21 and 1 Corinthians 7. Again, never what we want but sometimes it's the only way to go. So Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 7, 10 through 11. He says, To the married I give this command, not I, but the Lord commands this, a wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, <laughs> she must remain unmarried. Remaining unmarried means they're divorced. Okay? Or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. So it goes both ways, don't, do, don't divorce. Right? So it's a clear command not divorce, and Paul is aware of the exceptions for divorce. You know, when you know there's reasons where it is allowable, you still preach, don't get divorced. All right? But in the text, he actually says, but if it does happen... Uh, so he sets the standard, just like Jesus, very high. Don't get divorced. That's the ideal. That's what we should go to. But realize, pastorally, it still is happening. Even in the early church. And it still happens in our church. All right? It was, it's a huge issue. And even though they were commanded not to do it, people still find themselves in situations where it happens. And so he says, the ideal, if you get divorced, is be reconciled to your husband. In, even if you get divorced, I tell people, you know, sometimes that's not the end of the story. And we've had testimonies here in our church where there's been reconciliation uh, after uh, divorce, and, and, and it's a lovely thing. Even my mom, my mom left my father, and um, <clears throat> she was... Uh, remarried and married guy was great they ended up uh, being married to him longer than she was married to my dad and um, and she remained faithful to that relationship but it was about six or eight years after the divorce and she told me this later on and repeated it many times actually when we were alone and her second her, her current husband had wasn't around she'd talk about the those days and um, she said she was sitting in her living room after it had been a few years, and she said it lifted off of her like a, like a cloud, like a haze. She still she gave her goosebumps. She could just, just like, it just lifted off, and she realized what she had done was, was wrong and wasn't even what she wanted. And she just realized, she regretted it deeply. And I remember my dad talking to me about it when it happened. She actually came and, and tried to reconcile with my dad, but she'd been remarried. And my dad at that point did the wise thing because she was, she was remarried. He was like, no, it wouldn't be right. You know, you don't get a divorced again to fix their first divorce. <laughs> uh, and so, um, you know, that's what happens. The ideal is, rec ideal is, you know, reconciliation if it's at all possible. But sometimes it's not possible. 
And it never, even Paul is not neglecting these ideas or the requirements, the covenant of marriage of providing nourishment and protection and fulfillment and purity. Those are still assumed in the teaching because they were never questioned. It's, it's part of the law, part of God's word. Um, and then again later in 1 Corinthians 7, he gives a, a different example where it's legitimate. Uh, if a believer depart, if an unbeliever, I'm sorry, if a Christian is married to a non-Christian and the unbeliever departs, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. The word under bondage, bondage is the exact same word used when talking about the bond of marriage. Okay, And so it means that they are no longer under that bond or bondage. They're no longer under the covenant of marriage. And so here's a, an exception with a clear statement of freedom. No longer under bondage clearly means that they can uh, marry again. And depart means they are abandoned. And I've had to, unfortunately... Uh, help people through this type of situation where they marry someone and the person just takes off. Or this would be the case if they're never around. Uh, even if they still technically live there, they're just gone so much. They're avoiding the relationship. And that's unhealthy. And you confront it, you do everything you can, but um, you know, sometimes uh, it, there's nothing more you can do. And not under bondage literally means free to remarry with... Uh, and get your life going, restart. All right, so this applies <clears throat> since it's very clear when he says not under bondage or even in Exodus, when it says the woman may go, she is free. Um, it, this exception um, includes the freedom to remarry, then all of the exceptions include. In other words, if the divorce was legitimate for these reasons, it's completely legitimate to remarry. All right. This does not contradict what Jesus was saying in the Sermon on the Mount at all because Jesus was speaking uh, to this idea of no-fault divorce uh, being used as a way to justify uh, divorce when it was not uh, justifiable. Jesus was not guiding a person through the difficult mire of a broken marriage. He was addressing bad theology. Okay? And when you're addressing a theological understanding is totally different than when you're walking with a person through a broken marriage. And it helps to know the whole of what the Bible teaches. All right, so like uh, Jesus' day, unfortunately, we are living in a divorce uh, free-for-all. In other words, so many people are getting divorced. <clears throat> Jesus Christ came and took on uh, humanity took on human form. It's God. Uh, Jesus always existed as God. Uh, it's, the Bible says that through him the worlds were created, and by the word of his power all things are held together. Jesus. Right? But at the right time, uh, Jesus came and was born of a woman. Right? Born into this world under sin, the Bible says. And he, he, he brought uh, his sinless nature into this sin-filled world so that he could live a sinless life and then offer his body as the penalty for the sins of everyone else. We've all sinned in some way. And the penalty of that sin is death. 
And so even those of us who have committed serious sins or even the sin of uh, sexual immorality or uh, infidelity, that's serious stuff. But Jesus Christ came to die for that. And if you believe that Jesus is who He said He is, that He is God the Son, and if you believe that He died on that cross as payment for your sins, whatever sin you've committed, you can be set free from. And this is what Jesus came to communicate, that we can be free from the things that, cause, that, that we did and the penalty of sin, not only the penalty of sin, but the, the, the uh, power of sin, that we can live sin-free, just like Jesus lived sin-free. Why? Because we believe. We've entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ. His death on the cross enables us to break, just like everyone in my family was divorced, but you know what? I didn't get divorced, and I'm not going to get divorced, all right? Uh, why? Not because of something I got from my family, but something I got from my new family that I've inherited in Christ. And so I have a, a new inheritance called sinlessness and faithfulness that I can lean into. And so <clears throat> the message of the gospel that Jesus comes is regardless of how bad it is, there is a better way. And you can walk this better way simply by walking with Him. So the response to the, our issue of divorce and remarriage is not to point out someone else's sin or to be overcome with con condemnation because maybe you've been divorced or maybe you're struggling uh, with, in your marriage. It's not to give up to our culture and to give in to the, uh, the uh, culture of divorce that is so prevalent, but to realize that because of what Jesus has done, there's hope for you and there's hope for your marriage wherever it is. And allow the righteousness of Christ to come into our lives and, and, and lead us in a way so that we can love our spouses and we can live a, a life that's righteous. Uh, we fight for marriage because it's holy, it's pure, it's the ideal. And we fight against the work of the enemy who's set on destroying it because if he can destroy marriage, he destroys ultimately that because it's the building block of society it, it's this one uh, way that the enemy works to break down uh, uh, humanity uh, and we don't want him to give in in the area that's so important so i've asked bill to come up and uh, lead you in a prayer and close this service would you please welcome him